Hey, welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. Hope you had a great 4th of July. Uh, we had a wonderful one in North Carolina. Some of you may have seen me on Fox uh, talking about the wonders of North Carolina and um, Southport, which is close by, where they have uh, they celebrate um, uh, the fact that not only it is the nation's birthday, but they are the best uh, beach town resort uh, for a celebration of the 4th. How about that, you world travelers, you European types, you round-the-world types? Anyway, I <laughs> just kidding, some of the guys here, folks. But uh, we're delighted uh, you're back. We have a full show today, um, and we are um, going to get right to it. We're going to start with, of course, the situation in North Korea with our friend Gordon Chang. Then we're going to talk to our friend Joel Farkas from the American Strategy Group about this um, media war between Donald Trump and uh, the media. And then we'll talk about a new book, American Greatness, written by a very close friend of mine, Seth Liebson, and his colleague in radio, Chris Buskirk. We will get right to it. So again, thanks for joining The Bill Bennett Show. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Show. Okay, folks, as you know, I have uh, touched before on the topic of CNN and fake news. Uh, But now I want to turn to a serious discussion of President Trump and the media, if we can keep it serious. Some of it is just so laughable. Uh, I am delighted to be joined by Joel Farkas. Uh, You've heard from Joel before. He's director of the American Strategy Group. Each week, the American Strategy Group brings us important discussions like the one we're about to have about the state and well-being of our republic. To learn more about the American Strategy Group and the work Joel is doing, you can go to amstrategy.org or facebook.com slash amstrategy. Welcome back to the program, Joel. Thank you, Bill. All right, so what's going on? What is, what is at bottom, uh, if you will, in, in, in this uh, war between uh, Donald Trump and some of the media, lately uh, CNN? Um, you can be specific or general. Why did the president boil over at uh, Morning Joe and Mika? Uh, or what's what's at bottom going on here? You think? I think it starts from the media, which is different from the press. They they despise Donald Trump. Um, normally, free press is reserved for those people who are journalists, but we're inundated with most of the media. Uh, uh, who have almost no journalist experience or any journalism, or even if they have journalists on their show, they're no longer such. They've changed to be invidious commentators. So, so you you, you use the, you use a distinct you make a distinction between media and press. Press is an honorific term for you, meaning people who actually read and do research, talk to people, and so on. Uh, the press who does research, it, it's a wonderful thing, and uh, and when. And, and but the media, the people who despise, who spend who spend their day uh, chastising the president over the size of his hands. Yeah, uh, that's not journalism. That's not research. That's not that's something that someone would think the free press should be protected. We 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 know. We all know. We've all heard, read, and uh, any number of forums about this particular example. Let's use it of uh, Donald Trump uh, putting out a tweet which he attacked uh, Mika Brzezinski uh, or criticized Mika Brzezinski and, and, and Morning Joe. Um, I, I'm reading an op-ed, a long op-ed by Carl Cannon, the executive editor of Real Clear Politics, in which he asks the question, why did the president boil over in the first place? I will give you some specific chapter and verse here, but I'd love your answer first. Why do you think the president boiled over? I think the president boiled over because he's, fed up with people 
characterizing him in, in, in they're either calling him a pig or in the nicest perspective they 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 they, they in, in, have double entendre descriptions of the size of his hands it, yeah. it's just absurd it reminds me of watching tmz they the people at tmz post a picture of someone ask a, a silly question and they sit around the table or around their chairs and they cackle uh and 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 chastise that person uh morning joe i mean mika and joe should should really be reformatted to to compete with tmz they're not journalists it's not press it's not even interesting at least tmz is funny all right i'm glad you started with journalists and press or if you will i'm sorry i'm glad you started with press and media because you got a great example here uh, i'm reading this article as i mentioned uh, by uh, carl cannon executive editor of real Care politics this is this is good press work he cites chapter and verse he cites date and quote for uh, Joe and Mika on the Morning Joe show to answer the question, why did the president boil over in the first place? Give me a minute or two, Joel, and then I will get your comment. But just try to absorb all this. Uh, It was hard for me to. Uh, On March 6th, I had hoped uh, that the president had an open mind, and I've lost hope completely. This presidency is fake and failed. Joe Scarborough says, my mother's had dementia for 10 years. That sounds like the sort of thing my mother would say today. That was on May 1st. On May 5th, uh, Rob Reiner was on the show, and of course they often get people in the echo chamber. He's like a lunatic in a park on a soapbox, and you walk right by him. Um, Scarborough on May 15th, there's not a sane, rational human being who would have tweeted what he tweeted yesterday. Uh, Referring to Trump on May 23rd, uh, allegedly passing sensitive Israeli intelligence to Russian diplomats, uh, Scarborough calls Trump stupid and a jackass. On June 1st, Brzezinski prompts Scarborough to share the metaphor he told her off camera. He doesn't seem to remember what he said until she reminds him. It's like a kid pooping in his pants and then saying, I meant to do that. My God. The self-destructive Trump Scarborough talks about uh, this is Donnie Deutsch, another one of their regular guests on Morning Joe. Clearly has a personality disorder, mental disorder, self-destructive personality disorder. And then he adds, I'm not a clinician. Yeah, right. Shut up. Right. Uh, on June 7th, Scarborough says Trump being a schmuck, uh, it's possible that he's mentally ill. He's a phony, a phony, fake, pathetic, made-up cover of Time magazine. Nothing makes a man feel better than making a fake cover of a magazine and destroying the country. Um, he's covering his hands, Mika said. This is what you referred to, Joel, because they're so teensy. Then this last one, um, MSNBC's corporate response. This is the corporate response. It's a sad day for America when the president spends his time bullying, lying, and spewing petty personal attacks. Joel. The op-ed that you referred to also began quoting Aristotle and Plato. Socrates described people who talk about ideas as having, they're people who have intellectual curiosity and intelligence. Those people who all they talk about are other people who describe every circumstance as other people have small minds. Mika and Joe and Donnie have small minds. I will gladly take a president with small hands rather than listen to people like them who have, uh, to, to paraphrase Mika, teensy, teensy minds. 
Nicely done. Nicely done. Well, let's go on. Well, where does this go? Where does this go? Where does this? Uh, did you see the latest chapter, by the way, in the um, in the Trump wrestling uh, uh, thing? Did you see this about uh, CNN? This embarrassment to CNN? Yes, I did see oh. that. Uh, <laughs> so it's the, not surprising. See... <laughs> They'll continue doing things like that. They'll continue threatening people because that's all they talk about are other people. There's not an idea that they describe. This sounds very briefly, just for those who perhaps haven't seen it yet. Uh, it's, it's starting to get all over, but, but blackmail essentially by CNN. They found the guy who made the video. Apparently, he's a 16 year old kid. Is that right, Chris? I think that's right, isn't it? The young guy. Um, do you know? I, I don't know for sure how old he is. Yeah, okay, but I think I think it was established that he was a 15, 16 year old kid. They talked to the kid on the phone. This is the kid who made the video. Um, remade the video of the wrestling where, where Trump takes down Vince McMahon. This was, what, 10, 11 years ago. And they put CNN over the face of McMahon. And CNN got a hold of this kid who made this video, which then the, the White House saw and then and put out again. And they uh, didn't like what he had said, his rants about other things. He had said some totally intemperate and stupid things. So they said, all right, we won't reveal your name, but um, – you know, you better you better stay clean. And if you if you uh, recant and go back to saying stuff that's bad, we're going to reveal your name. Uh, <laughs> blackmail by CNN. Now, I think from what I can tell, uh, uh, Joel, that the media, even the media, in addition to the press in general, is shocked. He's shocked even by their colleague uh, CNN here in this threatened blackmail. This the, the, this is a downward spiral for uh, CNN. Bill, the media, and in particular journalists, but mainly the media, despises President Trump. No matter what he says, no matter how he says it, it will come, it'll come be, be presented as something despicable. Um, to, to compare, uh, a couple days ago, uh, the president of France gave his version of the State of the Union address to the Assembly and the Senate and the Parliament in France. He stood there and told them the EU has been devastating for Europe over the last 10 years. He further then told the parliament he is going to threaten a reduction by one-third of all assemblymen and Senate members in France. Can you imagine if Donald Trump stood in front of our country and said those words? But, no, but, but, but the president of France is, is revered. And furthermore, Donald Trump is, is, is castigated because he, he pulled out of the Paris Climate Accords. Yeah, yeah. Two weeks after he pulls out of the Paris Climate Accords, Total signs an agreement with China and Iran to develop one of the world's largest gas fields in the Persian Gulf. President Trump is not going to be covered in any good way. And anybody else who says what he says or worse will be revered. We're talking to Joel Farkas from the American Strategy Group. Uh, I was not aware of that last fact you mentioned about the gas fields. Um, where does where does this go? Um, I'm just looking at the calendar. As we speak, he's on his way to Poland. Um, I think he'll be well-received in Poland. They're predicting in Germany, uh, Hamburg at the G20, where everybody's talking about what will he do with Putin and what will he do with, uh, you know, with China, with Xi. But uh, they expect the demonstrations of 100,000 people. I think I know which way the media will go on this. But 
Um, I, 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 I'm sorry, I <laughs> went off my own question. Where will this go? Will he? Will this keep up for four years? You think? Can he keep this up? I said the other day on television. I said, you know, Flannery O'Connor said you have to push as hard as the age that pushes against you. And the age is pushing against Donald Trump very hard. But this guy pushes back. I think he'll continue to. And I think he should. Where it goes is just what you said, Bill. Uh, President Trump is going to push back, and I hope he continues. I might have said something different two or three weeks ago, but today I can say I hope he continues pushing back. Because every world leader that he meets with, regardless of how it is covered, will respect him, does respect him, and will end up negotiating whatever we're talking about, whether it's foreign policy, trade, or otherwise. They will work with him because they will have a mutual respect with someone they understand. It does, it's, 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 it's becoming irrelevant what, um, what, what media castigation means. And he, yeah. it would be relevant if he cared. If yeah. he if he allowed that to to change his perspective, but yeah. uh, I would just say to the president, please continue. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I I think you're right in foreign policy. Um, they don't have to love him or even like him or think he's charming or clever or interesting or original, as they would have said about uh, Obama. But they do need to respect him, and uh, that comes from strength. And I think he shows the strength. This guy, as I said, pushes. Pushes back, so I expect this this will continue. What will will this cause others in the media, not CNN? Uh, I mentioned that there's been some criticism of CNN from other aspects of the media for their bad behavior on this. Will some of them pull back and say, "Wait a minute, this is just going too far"? Um, doesn't it look? I, th- I think it's dawned on some of these guys that it just looks to them like they are a whining all the time about the president, apart from being unfair, and b kind of self-obsessed, you know? There are actually important things going on in the world, as you've mentioned. And, you know, what they're obsessed with is being criticized. Talk about childish. That's childish. There's fewer than one million people that watch Mika and Joe and Donnie. Um, uh, It's it's only relevant because uh, President Trump has 33 million Twitter followers I quite frankly don't have a Twitter account. I know very few people who use Twitter. Um, it is not, though, relevant to the various world leaders that are negotiating big issues. Um, the world really does care about very big issues: immigration, trade, uh, defense, uh, foreign policy. Those are the big issues. And so long as our president continues focused on those, um, I, 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 I trust we'll do just fine. Um, the fact that uh, fewer than a million people who watch uh, Morning Joe uh, may uh, sit around and feel uh, self-important because they can laugh at a fellow's hand size—that's uh, not too. That's not. I don't even. I don't even know what Plato, Aristotle, or Socrates would say about it, but probably not much. Yeah, no, I remember the conditions of dialogue Socrates laid down: candor, intelligence, and goodwill. Certainly, violation of goodwill, right there. You can't have a dialogue with someone who's. Not of goodwill in that uh, in that sense. Um, again, again, I guess I, I'm wondering where this where this goes. Um, I, people have asked me, you know, what's your favorite thing that Trump has done? I think my single favorite thing, not his most consequential thing by any means, was when he announced he wasn't going to the White House Correspondents' Dinner. As you know, I lived in Washington, and I lived in Washington for many years, 
and um, went to the White House Correspondents' Dinner, saw presidents, Republicans and Democrats, playing the game with the press, trying to ingratiate themselves with the press. Reagan went, but he kind of flew over their heads. He had the same kind of Trump quality of communicating directly. But others, Republicans and Democrats, wanted to show they were good guys, got along with the press, no hard feelings. You know, what Trump is saying is there are hard feelings. And when you report fake news and you come after me personally, there are hard feelings. And I'm going to react and I'm going to talk back to you. And I think that's where it continues. And I quite frankly think we'll see other world leaders follow suit. Uh, uh, Because you have been elected to lead a, a nation does not give everyone free reign to uh, to just eviscerate you hourly, not daily, hourly. There's there's nothing there's nothing in the Constitution that requires that uh, that that pinata approach, and you, I don't think sorry. it's relevant. I, I think we'll hear about it, but it's I, I I hope our president doesn't get caught up with it. Say more about what that uh, what you just teased that you think more people. More leaders uh, might pick up on the Trump style here. Uh, I I, uh, I mentioned earlier uh, the Macron, new president yeah. of France, mm-hmm. Macron. Uh, uh-huh. They have Bastille Day in a week. They have a tip a, a similar uh, sort of a, a, a event where the president takes questions from the press. He's determined he's not going to do it. He uh, decided that it's not it's not important. It doesn't advance his agenda. And uh, he absolutely is not going to do it. Wow. Um, I think that we'll see a lot more of that in the world. <laughs> you think that's a page out of the Trump book? I don't think uh, that President Macron would like to affiliate with President Trump. Yeah, yeah. Um, because his prime minister chastises him every time, uh, every week himself. However, he is certainly he is certainly talking about taking his message to the people directly to the people. That's very interesting. And whether he does it through Twitter or whether he does it through referendums or plebiscites of any sort, he's taking his message to the people. And wow. maybe, you know, when people get accused of being populist as a pejorative, uh, I don't know that that's correct. Got it. Got it. Well, wow, that's fascinating. You know, I had all this stuff uh, prepared and, and uh, read some of it, and I've been sitting here thinking about the fight here in this country didn't realize the ripple that may be going on around the world. We'll see, and we'll see with this foreign trip as well. Joel, thank you very much for this perspective. Really, you've, you've added a lot to the, my thinking, and I think the, think the thinking of our, I believe, the thinking of our audience. Thank you, Joel Farkas, very much. Great to talk with you, Bill. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Okay, folks, while we were all busy enjoying the 4th of July, North Korea decided to launch some fireworks of its own. According to the Pentagon, North Korea successfully tested a new nuclear-capable intercontinental ballistic missile. Joining us right now is a guy whose 4th of July was no doubt very busy, considering all this, and he's one of the world's foremost experts on North Korea and China. That's Gordon Chang. Gordon is the author of Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World. How appropriate is that book title? Let me give it to you again. Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World. Prescient. He is also a columnist at the Daily Beast, a contributor at Forbes.com. Welcome back to the program, Gordon. Thank you so much, Bill. And are you, these days, are you, what's the word, ubiquitous or omnipresent? You're everywhere. 
There, there's so much to talk about in terms of North Korea right now. So, in, indeed, um, you know, I'm just doing my best to stay afloat. I am so impressed at the places that where you are welcome, Fox and then CNN. How does one do that? That's really well, impressive. <laughs> North Korea Half is a nonpartisan you. issue. Yeah, okay. I guess I guess you're right. That's exactly right. But I was I marvel at you, and I good for you. And I'm I'm glad they got the smarts, all of them, to have you uh, to have you on. Explain to me because I'm not still not entirely sure. I guess there's an obvious answer, but explain to me why this is a quantum jump. Why this is a big. Why the the launching of an ICBM changes the game. An ICBM changes things because it puts um, American homeland in risk. And so, for instance, um, the missile that they tested yesterday, the Wasong-14, can reach virtually all of Alaska, and it can reach the approaches to the main Hawaiian islands. We also know, Bill, that they've got three missiles, maybe four, that can reach the lower 48 states, but they haven't been tested or they haven't been tested at full range. They're the Taipodong the KN-08 and the KN-14, and indeed the additional missile that we don't know about is what was carried on a Chinese transporter erector launcher during the um, big military parade on April 15th this year. It looked like the Chinese had given the North Koreans either a DF-31 or a DF-41. Both of those are ICBMs and can reach deep into the American homeland. Okay. Uh, Is this... Was this what was referred to earlier when the president said, we won't let them do that, we won't let them get that? Was it this ICBM capability that the president was referring to that has now become a reality? Yes, because then-President-elect Trump was referring to the televised New Year's address of Kim Jong-un, who said that uh, the North was soon going to test an intercontinental ballistic rocket. Really, it was a missile. And then the following day, January 2nd, um, President-elect Trump said, no, it won't happen. Okay. Well, unfortunately, okay. on July 4th, it did happen. Okay. Um, and is it also true, I'm just picking up on the things you just said, Gordon Chang, that this land-based launcher, if I'm describing it correctly, creates difficulties of its own in terms of detection? Is that right? Absolutely. Um The uh, missile we saw yesterday was on a Chinese um, launcher. Uh, We know the company that made it. It's associated with the People's Liberation Army. And because the uh, missile is mobile, it can hide. And because it can hide, it means that we cannot reliably kill it on the ground. We're not terribly concerned about North Korea's longest-range missile, the Taipodong, because it takes weeks to transport, assemble, fuel, and test. We can kill it on the pad, but we can't kill mobile missiles with the assurance that we need. And so, therefore, China has made North Korea a real threat by supplying these mobile launchers. The president has made a lot, Gordon Chang, about um, his efforts with China. And I think there was a tweet today or yesterday saying, uh, in the last few days in any case, saying, well, I tried, but looks like it didn't work. Uh, comment on that. Or what are the Chinese doing? Did you just say they provided this launcher capability? What are they up to? And is the president right to be uh, disappointed, frustrated? Yes, what, what the president did was, um, after the Mar-a-Lago summit with Chinese President Xi Jinping in early April, he gave the Chinese some time to solve the North Korean problem, and, and they obviously didn't do it. They were playing a duplicitous game. 
Um, there have been these links between the Chinese military and their North Korean counterparts. The Chinese have been supplying um, not only missile launchers, but it looks like they've also been supplying missiles, though, um, because they're Chinese-looking missiles that are starting to show up in North Korea's arsenal. So we need to ask Beijing some very pointed questions about where the North Koreans got these missiles. And, and there's just a big issue here about the relationship between Beijing and Pyongyang, where the Chinese really have been supporting the North Koreans, making them a real threat. And President Trump needs to confront the Chinese because this is something which is, as they say, completely unacceptable. And we cannot have good relations with China if China is making North Korea even more a danger to the American homeland. In your very busy day, and I know you're much in demand, uh, we want to be succinct here. Uh, when you talk about Chinese missiles, that brings me to my next question. <clears throat> People reacting to the ICBM saying this is a radical change, this increases the danger, as you said, could hit all of Alaska and uh, uh, and some of the Hawaiian islands. Are we confident this is the best they've got? Uh, is, it, is, it, is there a chance some of the Chinese missiles that have been uh, delivered, you suggest, are even more capable than uh, than this one? Yes. I mean, as I mentioned, the North Koreans paraded this big canister through Pyongyang, Kim Il-sung Square, on the big military parade on April 15th this year. That canister looked very much like the ones the Chinese used. Now, we didn't see inside the canister, so we don't know whether the North Koreans were bluffing and maybe just parading, you know, a big empty truck. But nonetheless, um, this is something where we need to know what's going on, because a DF-41, which could have been inside that canister, has a range of at least 8,700 miles, and, and that really goes far into the lower 48 states. That gets you to Kansas City, huh? Uh, certainly gets you to Kansas City. Man, oh man, oh man. Okay, well, you know, even if, if it was an empty canister... Am I right to say that the degree of cooperation that the Chinese are offering, help that they're offering, and the fact that they did uh, rebuff and and you know and not not accede to President Trump's request, suggests that um, you know that they have you know unlimited capability or capacity if the Chinese are willing to provide them? Because we know the Chinese have these missiles. Am I going too far here? No, you're not going too far. So, for instance. North Korea uh, uh, tested a solid fuel missile for the first time on August 24th, and they also tested solid fuel missiles on February 12th and May 21st of this year. All three of those missiles, Bill, look like they are variants of China's JL-1 submarine launch missile. We don't know exactly, but the, from the appearances, um, it looks very much the same. And again, you know, we need to ask these questions of China because we know the Chinese have supplied um, very important equipment to the North Koreans, not only the missile program, but also the nuclear weapons program. And, and so this is something that has not been part of our national conversation, but needs to be. Okay. Uh, am I also correct that the Chinese have not heeded the request about uh, limiting trade and support, that they've actually increased it? Uh, to North Korea, despite our efforts to get him to slow it down? That's, uh, you're absolutely correct about that. President Trump tweeted about that very same issue, mentioning the increase of almost 40% in trade in the first quarter of this year. The Chinese have said that they weren't going to buy any more coal from the North Koreans after February 18th, but we know that they bought coal in February after the announcement, and also in April, May, and June. And also, in addition to that, the Chinese have been buying minerals that have been banned by two Security Council resolutions. They've been buying copper, zinc, 
uh, and silver. Um, and those are banned by resolutions 2270 and 2321. So the China's been playing a very duplicitous game here, and we need to call them on that. And the president will be with uh, the president of China at G20. <clears throat> Do you expect he will? Oh, absolutely he will, because last week President Trump executed a sharp turn in America's China and North Korea policies by imposing some costs, some severe costs, on China. Now, clearly President Trump can impose even more punishments on the Chinese, and the question is whether he'll have to do that to obtain China's cooperation. I think yeah. that he will. Um, this is the critical issue now in American foreign policy. It sure is. And as you said, nonpartisan issue should be um, our last question. And if you don't know the answer, I know that anybody does. I've heard H.R. McMaster and other people say everything's on the table. Everything's on the table. Is everything on the table? And what do we do? What do we do? Yeah. First of all, um, everything is not on the table as a practical matter, because if we were to use surgical strikes against the North Koreans, I don't think the North Koreans would retaliate, but we can't take the risk because there are 26 million people in the metropolitan area of Seoul. It's within 35 miles of the demilitarized zone that separates the two Koreas. First hours of a general war on the Korean peninsula would be horrific. We're not going to take that risk. But there's a lot of things that we nor, can Nor do. should we. Nor should we. Not at this point. Clearly not. Okay. I mean, we first of all need to ask the Chinese about all of this equipment. Second of all, we need to get the Chinese banks out of money laundering for the North Koreans, which means we need to start um, imposing either very large fines or actually unplugging Chinese banks, including big banks. And indeed, there are a lot of other things that we can do to move China in a much better direction. We haven't done them yet for various reasons. I think President Trump has the will to do them. I hope that he carries through. Uh, I had also heard it said, I don't know if this is, I'm reporting it correctly, and if it's a good idea, comment on both, that you could um, start shooting down every one of these launches once they get up in the air, or at least trying to. You know, this is not something that I would do at this time, because we have non-kinetic options. Um, but at some point, um, if those options fail, and if we feel that we cannot deter Kim Jong-un, then we're going to have to start shooting down missiles and do other things. But there's a, we're a long way from that right now. And so okay. um, I think that those options should, of course, always be, quote, unquote, on the table. But they really shouldn't be at the forefront of what we're thinking about at this particular moment. All right. Non-kinetic options. And I know we got to let you go. But take us into the future. You've been prescient, as I said, with uh, the title of your book uh, and, uh, and other things. Where are we going to be in six months, you think? I think we're going to be in a very difficult place with China. We're going to have disputes across a whole range of issues, not just North Korea, but South China Sea, um, predatory trade practices, cyber attacks, Taiwan. And we need to have these difficult conversations because we have not been willing to defend American interests or the interests of the international community. I hope that President Trump does that. Um, this is going to get ugly because after you've had decades of misguided policies on North Korea, no option going forward looks good. We have to actually do go forward because we got to protect the American people. Yeah, we sure do. Gordon Chang, are you going to update the book, um, Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World? Bill, this changes much too fast to update a book. Yeah, um, and guess. so I'm having trouble updating articles. I got you. Yeah. Well, stay, stay available. Stay close. Uh, stay smart. Stay being Gordon Chang. Thank you very, very much. And thank you very, very much, Bill. Yes, sir. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show.
Welcome back to the show, folks. Right now, I wanted to bring to your attention a new and important book on the lessons from the 2016 election and how Donald Trump shocked the world. I started reading this book. I had an hour, and I ended up two and a half hours and read the whole thing. It's called American Greatness, How Conservatism, Inc. Missed the 2016 Election and What the D.C. Establishment Needs to Learn. The authors are two friends of mine, Seth Liebson, long-term friend and colleague, and Chris Buskirk, a new friend. They are also the hosts of the Seth and Chris Show on AM 960, The Patriot in Phoenix. Can I say that's an old friend of mine, too? I think I can. Welcome to the program, Seth and Chris. Congratulations on the book, American Greatness. Well, thanks very much. Okay. Let's start with you, Chris. Um, uh, First of all, who are you, Chris Buskirk? Our audience may not know who you are. I think they've heard me talk about Seth any number of times, but uh, tell us who you are. Uh, I've been been asking myself that question for a long time, Bill, but um, I mean, just to rattle off the resume quickly, um, you spent a lot of a lot of years in uh, in Claremont. That will mean something to uh, to some people. It's a certain yeah. intellectual school of thought sure. that I know uh, that you are familiar with. Uh, under undergraduate graduate school there, worked for the Claremont Institute. Worked for uh, Larry Arn, who's now the um, president of Hillsdale. I, my, sure. my running joke is that uh, he was my first employer, and therefore, if you don't like what I do, you, uh, you, you or say you can blame him. He inflicted me. Yep. upon the world but um after, after that i was uh, i was an entrepreneur in phoenix for 20 years and uh got back into uh politics a couple of years ago i'm now the uh the, the president of the center for american greatness um the editor of uh, of american greatness and the author of this book and co-host of the seven chris show with seth all right well american greatness uh seems to have caught on guys um the fourth of july my younger son uh, for, uh, the marine former marine not ex-marine there are no ex-marines former marine took a shovel out on the beach and made a huge make america great again uh sand uh, printing so that uh, planes and helicopters <laughs> could see it uh yeah that's how he used his time he got his he's got his back crisped too in the process but so what uh how did the dc establishment miss the 2016 election chris well, you know, there's that, there's sort of two uh, there's two, sort of two questions there, two answers, I guess. One is the discrete question, you know, the the the, the smaller question: how did they miss this election? Then uh, and then there's sort of the bigger question that uh, that overarches all of that, which is how did they uh, how, how did we get here? How did we get to a point where we saw, uh, you know, outlets that we had reliably turned to for many years, National Review and Weekly Standard, Wall Street Journal editorial page, all these uh, sort of what we had thought of as reliably conservative organs, how did they all find out in 2016 that they suddenly had more in common with the New Republic and the nation and American prospect and their choice for um, and their choice for president yeah. uh, than they did with uh, rank and file Republican voters. And um, you know the I'll, the shorter the, the smaller question I guess I'll say the question about the election itself um, is that uh, the, what we call conservatism it just uh, it became it became self-referential uh, to say not to say self-reverential although that might be true too but uh, it, it became an organization or a group a movement that that only talked to itself about things that only it cared about and just lost touch with uh, with the rest of the American people found out that it didn't have a whole lot in common with rank and file voters didn't really care to either and so we had uh, we had this situation where um, you know where we've got people like uh, you know Jonah Goldberg at National Review saying you know just these crazy things like I've got it here but he says um, you know this is he's writing in 2016 he says well you know the, the country could 
the country could last four years of Hillary Clinton, but it can't stand it. Can't, it can't yeah. stand any time with Donald Trump. You know, those things just don't make yeah. sense. I think to most to most people. Yeah, um, I had my. How, did, I had how my... did we get to a point like that? You know, I, I think it's one of as you won't be surprised to hear me say, but I, I think it's one of uh, of a, a, a core flaw in the, in the political philosophy on the right um, that okay. forgot forgot basic core principles. Seth Leibson, you uh, worked and lived in Washington for a lot of years. Um, uh, you could see it from the inside. Could you see this dawning, what Chris is describing? How would you put uh, Absolutely. Put Absolutely. And it's something you and I kind of discovered once we commenced our, once we commenced your talk radio show back in, in what, 2004. We learned something very valuable that a lot of the think tanks and a lot of the punditry just didn't, which is how important it is to listen. You know, for many years, these think tanks and these journals that Chris was referencing, you know, they promulgated and disseminated all kinds of great articles, essays, conferences, but they didn't do a, much in the, in the way of feedback, not much in the way of listening, not much in the way of reception. Talk yeah. radio was uniquely good at that, Bill. Yeah. Um, yeah. You as a veteran talk radio host, others we could mention from Mike Gallagher, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, they saw this coming because they heard it coming. And I think that was one of the big disconnects. And when I was living in the Beltway, we saw it happening. And then when I moved to Phoenix um, after so many years in the Beltway, I saw it happening, too. It's really quite amazing. When you live in Washington and New York, if you're conservative, Fox News is on in your living room all the time. When yeah. you move to Phoenix, it's just not. Yeah. Now, you and I, uh, as you mentioned, the radio show you and I did. Now, you and Chris uh, do a show. Um, <clears throat> and when you write in the book, American Greatness, about listening, <clears throat> not all talkers are listeners. You know, not all the people we know in this right. business are listeners. We yeah. are. And I remember I remember you saying to me, and I remember later Chris Beach saying to me, you know, listen, listen to the audience. You know, yeah. look at all this affection for Ted Cruz. And I said, boy, you know, I, I, I admire Cruz. He's a brilliant guy, but I just don't know that he can, that he can win. And then later, boy, listen to them talk about Trump. Look, look at the, listen to right. the degree of, of, right. of excitement about Trump. Go ahead, Seth. Right. No, that's exactly right. And you heard it again and again and again. It, as I think you say in the forward of this book, let me thank you for that while we're here, Bill. Um, this was a hell of a heck of a bench that uh, we put up for 2016. I mean, it was the cream, of, creme de la creme of, of the Republican Party, from Chris Christie to Rick Santorum to Marco yeah. Rubio to yeah. uh, Great Ted Cruz, Carly said. Fiorina. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And when you listen yeah. to the people, one name kept coming back. Yeah, but this guy Trump, he kind of speaks to where we are. He kind of says what we think, and he's got punch. You know, he's got feck. He's got... He's got that thing, Bill, you love to quote from Flannery O'Connor. He pushes back against the age as hard as the age is pushing against us. Yeah. He fought for the yeah. American people in a way the others weren't. And when he said yeah. we don't have time for political correctness, when he spoke about American greatness as a, um, as a line for American exceptionalism, this resonated in a way the think yeah. tanks in D.C. had been talking about but never really could understand the book is American Greatness. The authors are Chris Buskirk and Seth Leaves. And Chris, on the eve of the election, a week before, five days before, you guys cite some amazing <laughs> reporting, uh, quotes and predictions and numbers and polls. Give us a sample of that. This is, I think, one of the things that's going to drive people to buy this book, this collection of amazing things that were said by smart people and were 
wrong. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's what's interesting is that there were very few people who were right. It didn't matter if you were listening to, to you know, Wolf Blitzer on CNN or if you were listening to Nate Silver at 538, you know, affiliated with The New York Times. It didn't matter if you were listening to uh, to Jonah Goldberg, Bill Kristol on the, on, the, uh, on the right. All of these people were convinced that there's absolutely no way that, that Donald Trump could win, that this was Hillary's election. I mean, look, and you... Uh, you and Seth know this as well that there were a, there were a number of people in what was considered the Republican foreign policy establishment who had effectively uh, decamped and gone over to Hillary's side because they were looking for work in Hillary's uh, administration. They were so convinced that it was that it was that it was not only likely but it was a certainty, a metaphysical certitude that they had switched sides. Some for, maybe for principled reasons, though. I. I I'm count me cynical on that question, but they thought that they were going to yeah. work in Hillary's administration, um, and we just the list goes on and on. I mean, the, our bibliography, if you look at it, has all these quotes, which are just nuts from people who you you thought that you knew from their writing. You thought that they were on our side, and they just weren't, and they got it wrong. There were a handful of people who got it right, who understood that there was something different going on in the country. You, you guys talk about uh, who was listening and who wasn't, you know, who's listening to actual voters and who is listening to talking, talking heads. This kind of goes along with something that I've been telling people for a long time uh, who want to talk about Trump. I said, don't before you listen to what anybody has to say about Donald Trump, listen to Donald Trump. Listen to his speeches. Listen to what he has to yeah. say. Yeah. And, uh, and that what was the a huge difference. Sorry, go ahead. What was the, there was no, no, no not just a, a very specific question, datum. What was the uh, number, not official, but there was a kind of settled on number two days before the election that Hillary would win by? Was it 10 points? Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. Seth, yeah I mean, you had, you had, what, sorry, go ahead, Seth. No, that's all right. You had, you had anything between a five and 10 point, and you had historic okay. defeat of Donald Trump as a line that was repeated throughout the conservative people. Frank Luntz is supposedly on our team 4 p.m. Yeah. on Election Day, tweets out, quote, yeah. in case I wasn't clear enough from my previous tweets, Hillary Clinton will be the next president of the United States. Yeah. Close quote. Couldn't be more wrong. The day before. You know, what Chris was saying um, you know, about the experts, very quickly, my own uh, anecdote, as you guys know, I was on Fox in Las Vegas, the October debate, and I was on a panel with two Fox commentators, conservatives, and uh, they got to comment talking to Megyn Kelly before I did, and I they were saying, oh, you know, it's Texas is up for grabs. I mean, it looks Hillary's yeah. going to run away. These are yeah. conservative commentators. Right. Right. And I, I said, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, when it was my turn, when the show was over, I said to them, why are you guys working here and not CNN? I, I mean, I was, I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. Of course, my Rolodex thinned out a lot during that time. Uh, comment on that, Chris? Well, yeah, I mean, we're here, we're based here in Arizona, and they were talk they were saying the same thing. I mean, if you listen to CNN yeah. or, or, or Fox, they both were reading out of the same hymnal, and they were saying, you know, even Arizona, even Red, even Red State, Arizona, and Texas, too, are these places are in a play. And Seth and I are looking at each other, you know, in the studio across the desk thinking, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure which Arizona they're talking about. If it's the one that's sandwiched yeah, in one? between New Mexico and California, I don't think so, because this is the place okay. that we live and work. We know the people. We saw the size of the the Trump rallies, and it just, we thought, you know, this just isn't going to be close, and it wasn't. And uh, right, there's in a few minutes where you saw this disconnect widening and widening between what people in in the business and people in uh, on Main Street thought and believed. 
Again, the book is American Greatness. The authors, Chris Buskirk and Seth Liebson, you want to read this, how conservatism missed the 2016 election and what the D.C. establishment needs to learn. I want to, in the few minutes we have left, I want to ask about the present. Um, It looks like the people who predicted Hillary would win, whether they were in the media or the establishment or conservatives, uh, are, are still kind of hoping that, that uh, that's the case, counterfactually. I mean, they're giving Trump the worst time I've ever seen. Uh, Seth? It's, it's, it's really quite a shame when you're rooting for failure for your own team so that you can be proven right somehow intellectually oh and morally down the line, which really won't mean much. Because, you yeah. know, Bill, what we say in the book is when all these pundits missed the election, they missed something bigger than that. They missed America. And now when they're rooting yes. for the, the defeat of their, own, of their own candidate, their own party, their own president, um, that's what's going to hurt America. It's going to hurt the world. I, I, you know, um, This guy, there's a great piece in Politico this day, today, <laughs> believe it or not, what Donald Trump is getting right about the Middle East. You know, these headlines are turning. Um, memo to conservatives, memo to never Trump conservatives, get over yourselves and start caring about the country, which you say you used to care about. Yeah, no, exactly right. Chris, you want to expand on that at all? Yeah, I, I would. I, I guess Seth has said it all when he says that. I mean, think about the country okay. first. I mean, there's so much ego wrapped up in these anti-Trump predictions. It's been going uh-huh. on for a couple of uh-huh. years now. And people just, look, the climb down is always hard. You know, there's uh, we've got a quote in the book from David French, a columnist at, um, at National Review. And well, I don't know him personally, but from everybody I, I hear from, is by all accounts just a good, solid person, a good, solid American. And we've got this quote from a column that he wrote for NR where he says that if Donald Trump is elected, he will do incalculable damage to the pro-life cause. Now, now, now we're almost yeah. six months in to a Trump presidency. Can you, can you think of anything that sounds more absurd about a president who put Neil Gorsuch on the Supreme Court, a president who reinstated the Mexico City policy and, you know, sent Mike Pence to the March for Life? I mean, that, that, that's the disconnect you have here. And guys, it's, I agree. You know, I agree. Yeah, except I'd yeah, say we've a, had we've had David we've sense. had David French we've had David French on, and he at least is willing. He's a good and decent man, willing to admit um, error uh, A and B uh, has acknowledged uh, Trump's rightness and correctness on issues, which some of the uh, the crowd, oh, our can old I add crowd, to that point, though? is still not willing to do. Can I yeah, add please, to that? please. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but something you and I have noticed for many years, Chris, of course, as well, is, sure, they're willing to admit this here and there, and, you know, they're, they're, they're reasonably minded at times, but, but where's the posse? Where's the, where, and that's what the American people, that's what the conservative movement is looking for. Where's the people, where's the team out there defending their president, defending our side? You know, one day someone like David French may very well say, well, I might have been wrong, but then for three three posts next on National Review, it's going to be criticisms of Donald Trump. And, yeah. and it becomes yeah. a question of our movement. You know, who's our army? Who's our Marines? Who's, who's supporting our guy? And I think that's a big explanation of what happened in November of 2016. People were just tired of taking it on the jaw. People were just tired of our team getting beaten up and our team not standing up for itself anymore. And this was a guy that said, the heck with it, I'm going to do it. And he had the RNC against him. He had the establishment against him. He had the Clinton machine against him. And he just did it. And people liked that. And I think it's still going on to this day. I'd comment that I think he gets uh, 
the reason that every couple of weeks he goes and does one of these uh, events in the evening in a Pennsylvania or D.C. right before the 4th of July or, uh, you know, Ohio or Wisconsin is he needs that morale infusion, and he gets it from the people. He gets it from the people who voted for him. Chris? There's no question about that. And, you know, he, he did a couple rallies in Prescott, Arizona. Prescott, Arizona, Yavapai County. <laughs> that was not up for grabs. But the people yep. loved him and he loved them, you know? Yeah. I want to take a couple of minutes because you guys have a recipe here and a to-do list at the end, the four things that have to happen. American first foreign policy, pro-worker economic and trade policy, um, uh, pro-citizen immigration and border policy, deconstruction of the administrative state. Uh, deal with these four, uh, either one of you. Um, uh, who wants to do American first foreign policy? Go ahead, jump in. I'll start on that, and then I'll let Chris take uh, the pro-worker economic and trade policy. Yeah, I mean, I think there's been a lot of learning on foreign policy over the last uh, 20 years, uh, 30 years, really, from, from Reagan to Bush to Obama. And, you know, I, I, the phrase America first, its legacy is tarnished uh, from the 40s. But that's not what Donald Trump is talking about. What he's talking about really is Americans first. Is it in Americans' interest? You know, we've long loved to, um, to quote John Jay and the Federalist, and we know from the Constitution that the president's first duty is the national security of the United States. Uh, you look back over the most recent history, 10, 20 years, George W. Bush gets some um, uh, uh, blame for some of this, um, and it hasn't been great. Today's headlines are all about North Korea being able to possibly take out Alaska. Well, whatever the heck happened to missile defense? Uh, Bill, you and Brian Kennedy wrote a piece that for $30 billion bucks we could have comprehensive missile defense. Why is that yeah. not being done? Yeah. I bet it's going to be done yeah. in the next two to three years. That's putting Americans first. Okay. Economic worker policy. Quickly. Chris. Yeah, look, pro, look, this is just, this is simple. I mean, this comes back to what I think of as the citizenship question, which is to say that uh, when it comes to uh, comes to economic and trade policy, the, the United States government has one job and one job only, and that is to put the, uh, the peace and prosperity uh, of this country and uh, the effects on this nation's citizens first. Uh, trade between countries is always and everywhere a proposition that is governed by trade deals, and that means that we cannot view ourselves as being above the fray, which I think too often uh, our policymakers have thought, well, you know, the United States is so big and economically strong, we're above we're above these things. Well, no, let's just go back to our, the principles we say we believe. Well, you know, let's be rational actors in the marketplace, and let's seek out our good. And that way the marketplace, okay. uh, the international marketplace, will, uh, will, you know, the invisible hand will guide these things. But the, the job of this government is to get a good deal in trade policies for the American people and for American citizens. It's that simple. Good and immigration border policy, I think, pretty simple too, right? I mean, it's it's and he's and the it's, president's doing it's, it. It's exactly the same thing. It's you know who are you responsible? To, it's who are you responsible to as a as a government? It's to, it's to the citizens of this country. That again, this goes back to the peace and prosperity of the country, and that means that uh, defining citizenship. Uh, in a way that makes people understand that American citizenship is something that's unique and valuable, and that the government is going to protect it, that should be at the that should be at the at the fore of uh, the governing principles that guide our policy on immigration and on the border. Okay, Seth, the swamp, drain the swamp, the administrative state where ninety percent of your friends have worked. 
No <laughs> kidding, right? Well, I mean, 90% of my friends have worked there, but they also esteemed and revered and loved to quote a man who said government is not the solution, government is the problem. And uh, ever since that line was uttered, it's grown and grown and grown, and it's undermined itself. Uh, you yeah, uh, served yeah. in two cabinet positions. You know well how this worked. Wasn't your metaphor? Sometimes you were trying to steer a wheel and you weren't sure it was connected to anything below. There's your administrative yeah, right. state <laughs> undermining yeah. the agenda. It's time to cut it. It's time to act on it. It's time to do something about it. We connected the ropes ultimately and did get the nickname Fort Reagan at my Department of Education under, I mean, my, under Ronald Reagan's Department of Education, excuse me. Uh, so it, it can it can be done. It takes some time and you got to fire a lot of people. But, uh, anyway, no, but that's uh, right. It needs people like you. It needs people like Donald Trump. It needs, it needs you know, a strong horse in those positions and it needs someone who's willing to cut. Uh, you were requesting lesser of a budget than Congress wanted to give to you. This is what we need more of. Yeah, I was pretty wimpy compared to Trump. I never said, you're fired. You know, I do. <laughs> we try to do a little more. Well, you story. never said it to me. I'm grateful. So thank you. That's for sure. That's for sure. Uh, all right, guys, we got to leave it there. But maybe you'll come back. Uh, folks, you want to get this book, American Greatness. Uh, if you wonder why and how Donald Trump won, how conservatism missed it, what's to be done next. Uh, this is this is this is a book I've been waiting for. And it, and it arrived. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, any last comments Thank you want to you say to the audience about getting the book or what to do or how to live or what to, what, what to say, what to think, well, I, what I to hope? Well, I will say this. Uh, Chris what can I know? I, what can I know, said Kant, and what may I hope? Go ahead. <laughs> right. Well, Chris and I, I think, would agree on this, of course, which is, you know, we have a radio show five days a week, three to six in the afternoons in Phoenix. You can check it out anytime, but you can email us, and we'd love people's feedback on the book. Yeah. Great. Uh, what, Great. A, any additional thoughts, we'd love to have them for our second edition. And um, we're just going to keep listening. That's how we get these things right. We listen to the American people. Yeah. Well, I'll yeah, tell you, I'll just add one last thing just quickly. We had somebody tweet at us and, and email into us a picture of them holding the book in Tiananmen Square. And I would encourage anything like that. <laughs> Pictures like that are just fantastic. <laughs> Were the tanks lining up, Chris, as, uh, as they uh, holding the book? I, I, I thought I saw diesel smoke in the, in the distance. There you go. There you go. There you go. Thank you, gentlemen. Congratulations. All right. Thank Thanks you, so much. Thanks a lot. Well done. Thank you. Okay, folks, we got to leave it there. As you saw, a jam-packed show, lots of information, lots to think about, lots to do. Uh, but we'll be back with you next week. Thanks for listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Talk to you next week.